The thoughts and opinions on Just Some Podcast are of the hosts and guests and do not represent the views of organizations that employ them or they volunteer for. They are also not responsible for spontaneous black holes or nuclear wars that may occur. You have been warned. Welcome, 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 everybody, to another fun-filled and exciting and special episode of Just Some Podcast. This is Tom. Hey, this is Ben, hopefully, because, you know, last time we recorded, we uh, lost my audio, so I'm hoping that I'm still here. Just <laughs> for those that don't follow us on social media, which we cover every week, so how could you not? Exactly. But in case you don't, we had these shows recorded. And everything was good to go to get back on our weekly schedule. And then our uh, podcast service provider dropped our audio. Yeah, I'm still working with them trying to locate a backup copy of it. I don't know what happened to it, but it was a hell of an episode because we were debating the nurse practitioner state of the union. And it's kind of the first time that on the episode that Tommy and I have not seen eye to eye. And it was great, compelling listening that would have had you on the edge of your car seat as you were listening to it, and we freaking lost it somehow. Uh, we also discovered um, who was there when Epstein went down and uh, who killed JFK, <laughs> and maybe that's why. Maybe that's what JR. happened. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the whole we figured it all out. Okay, what's on the dark side of the moon? Everything was revealed in that episode. Everything that could have gotten Tom his Nobel Prize was in that episode, and it's now for naught. As a matter of fact, that probably was uh, my Nobel Prize acceptance speech, and uh, <laughs> now it's just gone. It's just gone forever. But hopefully our podcast recording host will be able to work some magic somehow and locate that for us. So I can, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, doubtful, but I'm hopeful. We have tens and ones of people that want to know this information, Ben. I hope I uh, that they are getting on top of this. All three of you out there that are listening, we maybe <laughs> want to hear it. So I know we we say that, but we're maybe someday we'll have to actually put out the numbers because, like, some of the radio play alone is yeah a lot. We, there's there's <laughs> lots of people who do actually do tune into the show. And we do greatly appreciate all of you. So even Tom's family. Yeah. I think I mostly joke because everybody seems to listen and they send out the, Hey, great job guys. And, but then we're like, Hey, we need actual feedback. What did you think about this? Nothing. So <laughs> I, maybe we're just that spectacular, Ben. That's what it is. We're just, that's that what it is. Damn amazing. That, yes. Very much. <laughs> so, well, uh, let's do your favorite part of the show. We got, we got an important uh, new segment before we get into this. The the commercial. 
Yeah, yeah. So we're going to do our social media stuff. So you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, all at Just Some Podcast. You can find us on the web or at www.justsomepodcast.com. Or you can email us, admin, at justsomepodcast.com. Don't forget that you can also find us on our um, – oh, oh. you were chewing ice and you messed me up. <laughs> yes. You can also oh. find us on Helium Radio. That's Helium Radio After Dark Channel 2. We are on there Thursday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 Central. Tom, what else can they do to help us out? Well, first of all, they can follow us and give us some likes and some shout outs on any of those social media sites we just listed. Then they can go to their to the goodness sakes, just some podcast um, website. You know, that thing. <laughs> and then if you, <laughs> if you scroll down towards the bottom, there's a link to Amazon shopping. Anytime you do any of your Amazon shopping, click on that first. Does not cost you anything. You won't even know we we're there. And proceeds go to the show, which really helps us out. So we do know a lot of people use that, and we truly appreciate it. I like that, the the crunching of the ice gotcha. It did. I don't know why. Um, I, I don't know why anybody. Like, pe- people are like, they are sabotaging themselves. What am I <laughs> listening to? <laughs> well, it is always fun. Because I know what we're going to throw to later, but... We're going to take a short break for these commercials, and then on the other side of the commercial, we will catch you with uh, the story you may have missed. This Christmas, Toys for Tots celebrates over 70 years of delivering a message of hope to America's less fortunate children. In 1947, one Marine unit delivered 5,000 toys. Today, Marines will provide toys and books to 7 million children in over 800 communities nationwide. Over 15 million children live in poverty in the United States, and nearly all risk waking up Christmas morning without a gift under their tree. Thousands of Marines and volunteers aim to change that. Lieutenant General Pete Osman, President and CEO of the Marine Toys for Tots Foundation, has more. Folks, Marine Toys for Tots really need your support this year. Through the gift of a new toy or a cash donation, you can help bring the joy of Christmas and send that message of hope. To our nation's less fortunate children. Simply drop your favorite toy in a Toys for Tots collection bin or make an online donation. Please go to www.toysfortots.org for more information. All right. Tom, you ready to jump into our story that you may have missed? Um, yeah. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I, I don't. Nobody knows yet at this point. Well, they might know because the name of the episode, but like, right. As we're recording this, nobody knows what we've done. And so we're actually recording this intro and outro after the interview. And so I'm still like, I can't believe that just happened. So yeah, let's, uh, let's get to the story. I'm still a little scattered at the moment. So Tom, there is a new injection that is in clinical trials that appears to be halting peanut allergies for up to at least two weeks. It was a small study. It's an antibody, and I am going to butcher this name, so I, ooh, I'm sorry. It's uh, Etokimabob, Etokimabob, E-T-O-K-I-M-A-B. It sounds like a hibachi grill. Kind of, yes. <laughs> but they had 15 participants who had severe peanut allergies who took part in this small trial. 11 of them were able to eat a nut's worth of 
peanut protein 15 days after the injection with absolutely no allergic reaction. They had five people in the group who were uh, received placebo, and they were did not have the uh, same reaction. They had an allergic reaction to said peanuts. Um, the antibody injection could be a much needed faster acting alternative to oral immunotherapy, and it interferes with the interleukin 33, which is an immune system protein that has a significant role in health and disease. And it's basically what triggers the response and allergic reactions. It triggers the antibodies called the IgE. Uh, so they're hoping that in time they'll be able to expand this just to beyond peanuts into uh, multiple food allergies or even allergies in general, which would be kind of interesting to get a couple of shots of an antibody and eliminate allergies. They also extended this out to day 45 of the trial. It was just a follow-up phase and not very many people returned for it. Four of the seven in the group who took the food challenge were passed. Well, again, nobody in the placebo group passed at the day 45 either. And they noted that they were very impressed with how long it lasted in there. We were surprised how long the effects of the treatment lasted. Tom, your thoughts? So first of all, I think usually I focus on the content, but in this one, I think it's really hard for me to not think about the fact that somebody was like, so if I eat a peanut, normally I die. <laughs> and what I'm going to do is I'm going to let you give me a shot that may or may not be normal saline. Right. And then... I, I kind of thought the same thing. I'm going to continually eat peanuts over a period of days. And then one day, maybe it works. And then the next day, no. And so who, who volunteered to be part of this? I It just kind of, in a way, just makes me kind of giggle. Like, wow, you must really want to eat a Reese's cup because you are... <laughs> Is you know, I do not have a severe peanut allergy, but I do have a nephew uh, that does, and they have to be very, very particular with even ingredients that they use uh, to cook because of this peanut allergy. So I'm sure that if someone was to come to somebody with a peanut allergy and say, hey, we have the potential ability to eliminate this, you'd probably have quite a few people that would certainly be willing to sign up. And I think that's why they used a protein, a peanut protein as a small... 257 milligrams uh, was basically what they ingested in a controlled setting. So, Well, no, I, I'm not saying it's not a great thing. I'm not opposed to fixing the allergy. I'm just going, so if I'm allergic to peanuts and my face is going to swell shut, you want me to just randomly eat a peanut? Like, it just, I don't think I would be that guy. I just don't think I'd be that one. I don't know. I get and that's why no one will remember my name. So, <laughs> except the Nobel Committee. That's right. And they uh, they better pay attention because we're bringing in the heavy guns on this episode. Are we? Do tell, Tom. Well, is it that time? Is it that yeah, time for I think us? We, we covered the story, and yeah, yeah, we're good. All right. So let me regale you, everybody out there listening, to a small tale. Of one day, I, uh, well, normally I'm going to keep the text messages to clean version for <laughs> this episode, but basically it's Ben saying, you're not going to believe this and me going, what? And 
saying something sarcastic. And he's like, I have somebody that may be willing to come on the show to be in a guest. And I was like, okay. And then it just got out of control from there. And so when this person, and we're going to introduce them here in a minute. Well, actually, like I said, you probably know the name from the episode, but yeah, what I'm going to say is we were so like, oh my God, is this about to actually happen that we decided this is going to be the first and hopefully not last and what we want to call the icon series where we get people that have made profound impacts in nursing nurse practitioners the pa the medical world whatever we can do but somebody that is clearly a, a, I mean all our guests have been great but i mean yeah. clearly yeah. someone that is universally recognized as a leader in the field and so ben do you want to let the good people know what just happened. So we reached out to Dr. Margaret Fitzgerald, who is, of course, the president and developer of FHEA, which is Fitzgerald Health Education Associates, and was kind of the pioneer for board review courses for nurse practitioners. And so we reached out to her and wanted to see if she'd become on the show. And she graciously took time out of her insanely busy schedule to visit with us for a short time during the interview Tom references, you know, I'm not sure how we got you on the show. And her answer was, well, you asked. yeah. So uh, we asked and she came on and it was a great time conversing with her and just hearing some of the history of nurse practitioners, but also of how she developed FHEA and, and where she sees it going from here. I just want to point out that you're going to listen to us, Ben and I, speak to one of the most influential people in the nurse practitioner world. And I think I uh, speak for everybody when I say nobody was as shocked as we were <laughs> that that this actually happened. So we had a great conversation. Like I said, uh, she is truly an icon and she is as cool as she sounds. We got to speak a little bit before the episode and uh, I won't hold the fact that she's a Boston Bruins fan against her. <laughs> And and she was honestly a truly gracious and amazing person to speak to. And I can't believe how great it was. So without uh, further ado, I, the interview. Well, Tom, we have a very special guest tonight on the podcast. And she doesn't need an introduction, but we're going to try to give her one anyway. But we're... <laughs> Let her introduce herself, but we have Dr. Margaret Fitzgerald on the show tonight. So, Dr. Fitzgerald, how are you, ma'am? I am doing quite well, thank you, and thank you for inviting me to join you this evening. Well, we appreciate you taking time out of your busy, busy schedule to uh, talk to us for a few minutes, but if there is anybody out there who's non-medical or is living under a rock and doesn't know your name, can you kind of fill us in on who you are? Okay, I'd be more than happy to do that. I'm Dr. Margaret Fitzgerald. I'm the founder and president of Fitzgerald Health Education Associates. We are a provider of NP board review, continuing education, and knowledge and skills building programs for healthcare providers. We also have NCLEX review, a very robust university product line, in-house speakers bureau, and in-house publishing. I am also a fa practicing family nurse practitioner 
at a federally qualified health center, the Greater Lawrence Family Health Center in a small city about 30 miles north of Boston, which is where I'm going tomorrow morning. And I am that odd person in healthcare who has opted to practice in the same community, literally the same neighborhood, my entire career. And which wow. is now, as a nurse practitioner, has been for 33 years. And I have some patients who I have seen for 33 years. And I've provided two generations of prenatal care, two generations of pediatric care. And I have many, many, many multi-generation families in uh, my practice. And so I do family primary care, but a good part of that, about 40% of the visits I do are same day urgent care visits. And I'm a professional speaker, writer, consultant, clinician, and a mentor. Well, that is quite the list, ma'am. Um, <laughs> as a matter of fact, just sitting here listening, I was like, wow, how did we get her on the show was my first thought. <laughs> By asking. And <laughs> well, that's rule number one. If you don't ask, you, you do not receive. <laughs> that very is true. a very, very true point, ma'am. And I am so glad that Ben has the ability to talk to people and get them to... <laughs> come on the show. So once again, thanks. And so I guess one of my first questions is, so you talked about doing this for that long. Was there something that got you into nursing? Was there some something that happened or was it just something that you knew you wanted to do? Well, it is interesting. I am old enough that when I was getting out of high school and I grew up in a blue collar community where only about a third of the kids went to college out of high school. And I knew that I wanted to do something that combined my love of science with my desire to work with people. And I will greatly, greatly give credit to my father who did not have a college education, but very intelligent man who, who wasn't able to go to college because his family didn't have the money for that. And this was pre-student loans and that type of thing. So it just wasn't a possibility. But he was, he, he'd be well into his 90s now if he was still with us. But he was a man way before his time who really thought, first of all, girls needed to go to college, which not everybody held that thought back then. And the other part is he thought it was incredibly cool that he had a daughter who loved science. Trust me, I was the only girl in the third grade with a chemistry set. Awesome. And I was the only girl in the fourth grade with a microscope and my very own. And so, and he encouraged that kind of exploration. I also had an aunt who was my mother's older sister, older by 10 years, who was a public health nurse in Boston. And when I was a kid, used to take me out on quarantine rounds with her. When I think now, oh my God, I, you know, all these people were being quarantined. I suspect half of them had tuberculosis. I'm, I'm fortunate I'm still alive. <laughs> <laughs> but I could see the impact of the work that she did. And, I, and that really impressed me. So after considering going into a lab science, and also seriously considering social work, 
I decided that social work was too much talking and not enough science, <laughs> and lab science was too much science and not enough <laughs> talking. So I said, well, look at that. Let me be a nurse, and I can do both science and talking. So how long were you a nurse before you decided to go on to become a nurse practitioner? Actually, I became a nurse practitioner 16 years into my nursing career. I'm an associate's degree graduate, and so I got out of my associate's degree. I've been an RN since I was 19 years and five months old. So I was young. I was young getting out of high school. It probably shouldn't have been legal, but it was. <laughs> but that's that's what happened. I was young getting out of high school, and then I went to an associate's degree program, and I went straight through in two years, and so hence why I was so young. But I I knew even with an associate's degree, I wanted to get a master's degree, and but you know you've got to get this. You've got to get a bachelor's before somebody lets you get a master's. Mm -hmm. So I took my time getting my bachelor's degree in part because of working and then I had younger children and that type of thing. So I got my bachelor's degree. And the reason I even mention this is it's kind of a lead into why I got a doctoral degree is when I was working on my bachelor's, I worked my way up through the ranks in critical care at a hospital where I worked for 13 years. And I went from staff ICU to clinical leader ICU to, I, to ICU nurse manager, and then to the critical care staff educator, which was a, not only a hospital-based, but a regionally-based role. So I had some of these roles before I even had my bachelor's. And then I decided I want to go to grad school. And it, for a little while, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And this was, this was in the 1980s. So it was the heyday of the ClinSpec. But I said, gee, what I need to do is not stay hospital-based. I need to keep people out of the ICU. I desperately, desperately want to do that. So that's when I decided to become a nurse practitioner and then went on to grad school. And the, one of the reasons why I make that point is for a good part of my career, I've had a position where somebody with one degree higher than I had at the time should have held that job. When I was an associate's degree grad, I was doing baccalaureate level work. When I was baccalaureate level, I was doing master's level work. And as a nurse practitioner, I truly believe we do doctoral level work, which is one of a number of reasons why I went back to school to earn my DNP. So when you got into this whole process, I guess, at what point did you say, hey, I, I'm doing a great job taking care of patients. Now I want to do something to help prepare nurse practitioners. Like, how did that transition into education begin? As many things do, part of it, I won't say it was luck, but what I will say, it was right place, right time, and a number of other pieces of sometimes even just serendipity that, that work together. You have to remember, in 86, when I became an NP, there were only 25,000 nurse practitioners in the entire country. 
25,000. We have 275,000 now. Yeah. And yeah. so that was, it was 25,000 people who were NPs, and that was 20 years into the profession being founded. So you can see at the very beginning, the growth of the profession was at literally a snail's pace, literally. And then what happened in the late 80s and the early 90s, the number of people seeking nurse practitioner education started to go up. And, and it was around the same time that some NPs were also retooling, I'm sorry, some clin specs were retooling as nurse practitioners. But to get back to the question, it was the late 80s, I was precepting a grad student and the State Nurses Association in Massachusetts for many years had offered one of the very few NP review courses in the country. And I know it's hard to imagine life before <laughs> Wi-Fi, um, <laughs> online learning and everything. But remember, everything was brick and mortar for learning or state-of-the-art cassettes. I mean, th those were really the only way that anybody did professional education. And believe me, most of it was live brick and mortar. So the student I was precepting said to me, hey, the Nurses Association just announced they can't do a review course this year. Would you mind helping me and some of my classmates get ready for boards? Well, I was an experienced yeah. teacher from my critical care days. And I had helped teach CCRN courses, so I knew about board review. In fact, I had helped write questions for the CCRN exam for a number of years. Yeah, I had done a lot of program development and teaching at, in my critical care days. I was an ACLS instructor trainer and a whole bunch of other things with that. I had uh, marvelous opportunities there. So I said, under the category of, how hard could this be? So I had, I had six people around my dining room table, literally around the dining room table. I remember one of my daughters helped serve snacks for them. I would make snacks every time they came over. And I really taught like a small round table. And I thought, well, that was kind of fun. I'll consider doing that again next year. And then word got out very quickly, very quickly. So all of a sudden, even that fall, I was doing another course. And you also have to remember this was back when the NP boards were paper and pencil and offered, are you ready for this one? One day a year. Oh, wow. One day a year. The <laughs> most nerve wracking day of the year. <laughs> right, if you failed boards, if you failed Fords, you had to wait a year to sit for them. Oh, wow. Which is, trust me, if you dig around, you're going to find a lot of people who were prepared as nurse practitioners in the 80s into like the early 90s. A lot of them never practiced as NPs, and it wasn't even so much that, to be honest with you, there weren't that many positions because the role, if you think the role is still confuses the heck out of people, go back to the mid 80s and see how it confused people back then. Right. But 
if if people did happen to fail the boards, then very often they never bothered going back and taking them again. So um, if you dig a little bit, you'll find people who were prepared as NPs back then, but simply never, never practiced. And a lot of times that's the reason why. So anyway, so two things happen. One, which is important, another organization opened a door for me to walk. And that was the State Nurses Association by not offering review that one year. And that set the stage for me to develop a program that I honestly, and I'll be, I'll be very candid with you, I had not thought about offering. And then what happened was the next year, the State Nurses Association decided to offer the review course again. And again, the boards were offered one day a year. That was it. And I still was hearing from people saying, we want to do a review with you, okay? Because we really liked the way that was set up. So again, classes were small. Like my graduating class from my NP program, there were 11 people in it, and that was a fairly good-sized program. So there were two, there were some Boston area programs that started contacting me. So I needed to make a decision. Was I going to step aside and let the State Nurses Association take this over? Or was I going to be strategic about it and say, yes, I'm competing with them. I'm okay with competing with them. And I'm going to continue to offer my product. And so what ended up happening was after two years, by then I took it out of my house. We were doing it at a hotel and all. And the other thing <laughs> happened is the board started to be offered twice a year. Again, woohoo, twice a year. <laughs> <laughs> and that's when I got a call from somebody at the State Nurses Association who said to me, you win. We can't pull off doing two courses a year, but it looks like you can. And I was like, okay, here we go. Then the only other review courses available in the United States back then, and there were only really two, one in the DC area, one out in the West Coast, and their model was, you come to us for this course. And what we decided to do is, no, we'll go to you. So that's when we started leaving New England and doing courses in various parts of the country because we realized the business model needed to be shaken up. Huh. And that was 125,000 NPs ago. <laughs> and here we are today. So whenever you first started that, then did you foresee it at some point becoming what it has become? Where I mean, that is kind of the gold standard for uh, board, I mean, I took the Fitzgerald Review course. Well, thank you for saying that. Um, <laughs> you know, I I would be less than honest if I could say in, you know, like 1991, 1992, we could have envisioned that it would grow like this. And, and you'll notice that I switched going from I to we in the early 1990s, because in the early 1990s, my husband joined me in the company and he has an MBA. So we were really rather perfectly suited to, yeah. to bring this forward together. 
And we and FYI, we are still married. <laughs> <laughs> that is always and, key when you're yes. working together. Yeah. Yes. Oh, most definitely. And so, yeah, we have worked together now for more than 25 years. And that's a whole other podcast of how do you stay married to somebody who you work with. <laughs> but we have pretty firm lines of division between what we do. And I think, it, plus the other thing, we really like each other and we really respect each other. So that makes that makes a gigantic difference in it. But the particularly the growth in the NP market in the last 10 years, I believe if anybody told you, oh yeah, 25, 30 years ago, NP market's gonna grow by this many people. I think anybody who says that they predicted it is foolish because the growth since 1999, which I fully realized that was 20 years ago, there were something like 75,000 nurse practitioners in the country three, two decades ago. So that's a threefold growth in 20 years. And that is, there's no word to use other than explosive, explosive in that period of time. Yeah. And, and of course we have competitors. So there, I, I actually, in my doctoral program, I did my capstone project on the concept of competitive survivorship in businesses and what allows a company to survive in a crowded market. Hmm. And what's easy to forget is in the year 2000, there were 10 companies offering NP review. Seven of them no longer exist. Wow. And yeah, why was it that so many of those companies dropped out so quickly? And it was a concept of com competitive survivorship. And <clears throat> by the way, I, I received my DNP in 2006 from Case Western. There were only a thousand people with DNPs in the United States the year I graduated, and 600 of them were produced that year. So it was wow. very early, very early in the whole DMP. Well, I just want to point out Case Western to anybody that doesn't know is in the great state of Ohio. It so. is a wonderful school. <laughs> I can't, I can't say enough about how wonderful a school it is. What a great program their doctorate in nursing practices. So I have a question, and mm -hmm. this is one of the. Well, I guess it's obvious I have a question. I don't know why I just said that. So, sorry. So, I guess one of the big issues, and I'm sure you're up to date on all this. So, what is your thoughts and feelings on the state of the academic, like before they get to you, the mm -hmm. academic preparation that nurse practitioners are going through and the field in general? Whether they're coming to us, clarify what you mean by so, what they're doing academically. One of the big, I guess, current issues for myself and some other nurse practitioners, and I think Ben's in with me on this, and I would love to hear your point of view, is a lot of schools now are dropping requirements such as you have to have so many years, you know, X number of years of experience to apply to this program. Okay. And it feels, it feels to me, and, and again, that's why I want your experience and your point of view. It feels to me like we are turning out nurse pra advanced practice registered nurses that have never been nurses. And I feel mm -hmm. like we are doing a disservice to ourselves and our patients. All right. The direct entry. 
Yeah, and that would be one is, example. Okay, yeah. the direct entry. All right. Well, this is my view, and in part because I've had folks like this in review classes, and I've practiced side on side, literally side on side, with a number of direct entry nurse practitioners, in part because those programs are usually largely, if not exclusively, brick and mortar. And there are, right off the top of my head, at least four of them in the Boston area, and I practice in and around Boston. I believe for those of us, for people like me, who, was, who had been an RN for an extended period of time before I became an NP, I don't regret a minute of that experience. On the other hand, did I struggle with the transition to becoming at practicing at the NP level? Oh, you bet I did. <laughs> Right. Just like everybody else does. Yeah. And what I have seen is people without RN experience in a lot of ways are looking at the NP role with a set of clean eyes. And they're not falling back on what they learned to do or what the rules were when they were an RN. And very often that allows them to progress rapidly in the profession. And I do not believe we are doing ourselves a tremendous disservice by having people without years and years of RN experience becoming NPs. What I do want to see is a consistent product at the end of the program. I really want to see that, that everybody is up to the directed assessment, diagnosis, planning, intervention, and evaluation that is truly, truly, truly at the NP level because we're in desperate need of ensuring that everybody is able to do that there and not to be looking at and saying, but as an RN, we would do it this way. Well, then you're not an RN anymore. You're now an APRN. So this is how things are going to be. Fair enough, ma'am. That's why I asked. <laughs> yeah. So I have one last question before we get into our final segment then. Where do you see FHEA going from here? Where do I see it going from here? Yes. I believe that we will, as we have over the years, We'll continue to expand our university product line, which is quite robust. It's a product line that many people who are out in practice don't even realize we have, but we work with dozens of universities. Uh, we will continue to expand on and bring to more NPs across the nation knowledge building and skills building programs. We will continue to be the only NP review company that offers certification in seven different areas uh, because of our commitment. The, the only thing we don't do is neonatal, only thing, but we do everything else. We do everything else. Our in-house speakers bureau will continue to grow. We've got a couple initiatives going on right now to expand. In fact, we just launched a program literally today on some professional issues 
for nurse practitioners. It's very exciting. And this is how to put together a cover letter, how to nail the interview, how to negotiate your first year of NP practice. And we have a billing and coding program coming out. I'm going to be doing a program on business awesome. planning. We've got all sorts of the professional part of managing, growing and managing your career. We've got a very exciting line that's just starting to come out now and a number of new initiatives that I'm simply not at liberty to discuss right now, right. but it's a very, very exciting time. We're not exactly taking our foot off the pedal. Let's put it that way. Well, ma'am, nobody's really listening to the show. So if you just want to tell us anyways, I promise <laughs> we'll keep it just between us. It's just between us. So yeah. Yeah. I'd have to come and kill you. you know, <laughs> I told you. I don't want well, to do that. I don't want you to do that either. If you come to yeah, that Blue Jackets match, go. I'm sure you're going to want to kill me after that anyway. So, I mean, <laughs> let's just get right to the chase. Spice so. words. <laughs> <laughs> well, ma'am, we're coming towards the close and we do something with every guest. Yes. And, well, Ben, do you want to take it from here? So, we're going to do our segment called Five Questions. Yes. Join us on a journey into the inner psyche of our guest as we ask five, 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 five questions. Five questions with Margaret Fitzgerald. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm sorry. Sound I'm, um, yeah, I'm like, uh, this can't be real. So. <laughs> question one. Hold, hold on. I, I got to point out something. Yes, ma'am. Usually what happens is, is Ben <laughs> asks the questions and then as the person's answers, I make fun of their answers in some way. But I don't think I could do that today. So <laughs> I, I, probably, I don't I don't feel like I have the capacity to bring that. So if you hear me say something uh, sarcastic, please feel free to tell me to shut it. And I promise you won't <laughs> okay. hear another word. OK. okay. <laughs> All right. Question one. Margaret, what's your favorite medical word? Oh, my favorite medical word. Borborygmy. Ooh. That's a good one. That's I, a good, I, that, yes. Yeah. Yes. That is a good one. <laughs> <laughs> and, and no, I'm not going to make fun of it. There you go. Nothing. What Margaret Fitzgerald says, her favorite word, you just listen. So well, there it is. Well, I've got, I've got another one. Another uh -oh. one, except it's a couple of words. Okay. And it goes back to an old surgery that was done years ago for uh, peptic duodenal ulcers, and it's called Billroth 2. And there was a Billroth 1 and a Billroth 2, but I always thought Billroth 2 would be an excellent name <laughs> for the rock band where I'm going to be the lead singer. <laughs> Except no. I can't sing, and I have no musical talent. But other than that, it was all going to work out beautifully. I just imagine the surgeon going, you can have Bill Ruff 1 or Bill Ruff 2. And you're like, obviously, I want the second one. That's why they invented it. <laughs> like, why don't I take the one if there's a two? Yes. Or, or on stage tonight, Dr. Margaret Fitzgerald, <laughs> lead singer for Bill Ruff 2. And by the way, it's Roman numeral 2. It's not number 2. Well, yeah, gonna, of course, it's classier. That's that way. way more metal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that leads great into question two, which I think you've already answered now. But if you could do any job in the world other than what you currently do, <laughs> what would it be? 
<laughs> it would be to be a singer in a band, except that... I have no musical talent and your eardrums would bleed if I started <laughs> to sing. And, or else I would, I, I keep thinking I would do something, maybe what I would do is something deep and meditative, like make cheese or because I've done that and I'll make yogurt. And then I go like, I'd be so bored so quickly. Yeah. No. I, so, need, I need variety. So what's your favorite type of cheese? My favorite type of cheese. I humbly say it's the goat's cheese that I make with chive and black pepper and a little bit of sea salt and then roll it up in little balls, put it in some olive oil with some red pepper flakes. Oh, Ooh. it's delicious. Sounds well, it sounds delicious. Yes. yes. Uh, question three. I think back to your first car. Mm -hmm. Was it a stylish ride or was it uh, kind of a rolling piece of crap? Oh, the latter. <laughs> the latter. <laughs> Wait a minute. Wait a minute. It was a... Corvair. A Corvair? Ralph Nader's book, Unsafe yeah. at Any Speed. It yeah. was a Corvair. And I drove it around when I was like, end of high school, beginning of college. And it kept dripping oil on the engine. So it always stunk of oil. <laughs> and that would come in to the cab of the car which made in New England, I had to ride around with the windows down 12 months a year. Oh, that's fun. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. And totally safe sounding, by the way. Oh, just <laughs> nothing but the best. Corvairs were known for that high safety record. So. <laughs> with no seatbelts and no airbags. Oh, Again, wow. It's a miracle I'm alive. <laughs> oh, all right. Question four. If your house was on fire and everyone, including your pets, are safe, what's the one thing you want to get out of your house? Oh, let's see. Oh, family photos. That That's like a little too easy. Yeah, that's, see, that's, that's a frequent answer. That's the go-to. Yeah. I figured based on question two, it was going to be your Guns N' Roses collection. <laughs> so... <laughs> No, no, no. I'm almost too young for Guns N' Roses. You've got to go back. I've seen the Rolling Stones five times. Oh, wow. So, right. yeah. Um, so, What's your favorite Stone song? You can't always get what you want. When they performed it in Sympathy of the, for the Devil, it's, it's hard. When they performed it in Boston, not this past time they were in Boston, but before that, and I went to their concert, they had the Marsh Choir concert from Boston University come and sing their backup. Oh, it would have just, uh, it's still unbelievable, unbelievable to, to hear them sing it with them. I got to say, Ben, do you got a favorite Stone song? Because I do. I, I absolutely I, I do. Don't. I'm good. Mine is Beast of Burden. Absolutely. Oh. Every time I hear that song, it just gets me every time. Well, and what I loved about that concert was Mick Jagger was up there and, and you know it. I mean, can you, you have to give him respect. He oh, yeah. is a man. He is surgically enhanced. There is no one his age with an abdomen that, that flat. No, believe me. Um, but I also believe he hasn't, 
I don't think he's mistreated his body like, oh, let's say Keith, Keith Richards. Richards. <laughs> yes. Where yeah. my my Corvair could fall have fallen into one of the creases on his face. And I've always wondered how was Keith Richards still alive and his mother lived to be almost a hundred. So he's got those longevity genes. Good genes. And yeah. about a third of the way through the concert, and and Jagger was impressive, but I thought he's kind of dialing this in. About a third of the way through the concert, Keith Richards' drugs either kicked in or wore off. I am still not sure which one it was. <laughs> and he came alive on the stage. He was he was mesmerizing. And I was like, whoa. Yeah, so he was truly the star of the show. That's that's what I was going to say is during that song, how can you listen to Beast of Burden and not do the air guitar with Keith Richards? Oh, like, it's bet. just, it's amazing yeah. every time I hear it. Yeah. So, yeah. okay. All so right. this is the last question. Here we go. Question, question five. So you're at the convenience store. Mm-hmm. You have $9.18 in your pocket. Okay. What will Margaret Fitzgerald buy? Oh, I'm at the convenience store. Now, I know you guys got some, you have some funny names out there. So uh, is it like a Wawa or a 7-Eleven, Circle K? What are you in? You know, we're, we don't have, we don't have a Wawa. I, I, and I, I want to live around where there is a Wawa because they're <laughs> very nice. They're very nice. And we don't have a lot of Circle K. It's mostly like 7-Eleven. Oh, there's a Tedeschi's, which, I mean, that's just someone's last name. Right. Not not terribly exciting. Okay. All right. Oh, this is what happens when you're boring and you try to eat good food most of the time. Oh, no. Go ahead. So if I'm going to be, like, bad, I am going to get, wait for it, a caffeine-free diet Coke. <laughs> <laughs> Can you stand it? Well, yeah, a caffeine. Normally, diet. this is where the harsh criticism for me would come in, but like I said, you're <laughs> Margaret Fitzgerald, so you can buy whatever you want. As a matter of fact, okay. okay. So, what yeah. else would you get? That's like three bucks. So, what else are you going to get? Yeah, I hardly ever go to convenience stores. Like I said, isn't that pitiful? Oh, I'd pick up some cashews for my husband because he it loves them, go. and I'd eat like two of them. That'd be enough. <laughs> I think if you bought cashews at the convenience store, there goes the rest of your diet. That's true. Yeah, they're going to be honestly probably. Yeah. yeah. And let me think. If I would get, I can't even think of any kind of a snack I would get in a convenience store. Not that I'm so pure that I don't ever eat garbage, but well, what's um, your favorite candy bar? Okay, wait a minute. I'm going to go all New Englander on you. Oh I would get a sky bar. A sky bar? I'd, I'm I not sure. I know a what a sky bar sky is. Sky bar. Yes, they're made by. I think they're made by the by Neko, the same company that makes Neko wafers. Okay. But they're a curiously New England bar, and they have a chocolate base, and then four sections. In each section, has a different flavor in it. One is caramel, huh. one's marshmallow, and it's been so long since I've had one, I can't even think of the other two. But growing up, my best friend and I would split a Sky Bar, and one of the reasons was I liked two of the flavors, and she liked the other two. 
That's so smart. That's, yeah. that's how you you developed a best friend when you were growing up. You <laughs> found somebody who you could split a sky bar with, and everybody was happy. Well, I know a nurse that is traveling, and she is on assignment out in New England, and I'm going to be hitting her up here shortly and saying, send me a sky bar. So, yes, yeah, yes. Look around for a sky bar. They're not that easy to find anymore. Like when I was a kid, they were everywhere, but they're they're still they are still made. Well, Doctor Fitzgerald, thank you so much for taking time out of your crazy busy schedule to uh, talk with us. Do you want to plug your website or anything before we let you? Yes, go? it's fhea.com. Let me tell you, my favorite tagline here is "NP knowledge equals NP power." We are only as powerful as clinicians leaders, healthcare advocates, all the other roles that we fulfill, we are only as powerful as we are knowledgeable. Always work on becoming more knowledgeable so you can be more powerful and help put forward our great profession. I like that. Yeah. Well, ma'am, I would say that honestly, you're an icon and it has been an honor and a privilege for both Ben and I to be able to speak to you tonight. So thank, thank you again. You. And I'm much honored that I was asked to be on your program. Thank you so much. And if you're ever needing anybody to uh, come teach those professional courses, you can hold a Tom and I, we can do it. Yeah, right? exactly. Right. You may not <laughs> enjoy the results, but I mean, we'll do it. So. <laughs> All right, Tom. Well, that was our wonderful conversation with, Dr. Margaret Fitzgerald from FHEA, again, like I said, kind of the, the uh, founder and curator of nursing review boards. So I, now I actually took a Fitzgerald review course, and I mentioned that in the interview, but it was quite a course, and it's amazing to see what she has built from her dining room table on. I did do some, I did not do a full Fitzgerald course. I did do some review with Fitzgerald. Uh, materials and I actually have students now that have Fitzgerald so that is going to be an odd conversation when this episode comes out assuming that they know anything about our show but it's going to be like yeah I talked to her she's cool and and I did try to put <laughs> some extra jobs in there Tom at the end of that interview you know with hey she needs us to teach you know here we are so yeah, absolutely. But I'm going to point out that I also countered with, you're probably not going to enjoy the results. <laughs> I don't know. You know. She was talking about courses coming out with contract negotiations and developing cover letters and stuff. And you know, we should have just said, hey, go back and listen to like episode four of ours. Because, I mean, we have, we've already done this. We've already mastered it. And then I would have said, do not go back and listen to episode four. <laughs> Oh my God. Yeah. No, geez. I am still sitting here just going, wow. So if you don't know who she is, uh, you like Ben said earlier, must be under a rock, but I hope everybody enjoyed that conversation. Like I said, totally awesome person. She was funny and I mean, I didn't know what to expect. Right. I didn't have any bad thoughts going into it, but I was so nervous to do anything. And then she totally took the wheel and loosened it up. And I was like, all right, we can, we can have a good combo here. So especially towards the end, the five questions I was really cracking up. So, yeah, that was fun to pick her brain as to 
<laughs> or, you know, as, our, as our audio says, delve into the psyche of uh, Margaret Fitzgerald. <laughs> I still need to check out. I'm going to have to like Google these sky bars and uh, see if I can order some. I know. Or, I bet Amazon probably, you know, probably get it from our link, you know. <laughs> link, order some sky bars. How screwed up is that that we have not even thought about using our own link to do this? So, but I do know, uh, Lynn, if you're listening, I'll be getting a hold of you or Joe here in a little while to uh, see if I can get me a sky bar. So, well, Tom, on that note, man, this was a, a crazy episode. I still can't believe that we were able to actually interview her, but it was a great time. And I don't know what we're going to do next week. It, I don't know if we'll top this because that was pretty cool. Um, nothing's gonna top this for, nothing's gonna top this for quite a while until you hear that uh that nobel acceptance speech no uh, i don't know about all that you know there's like you said it's beginnings of the icon series i'm sure there's still lots of uh icons no, i'm that... saying we might have something up there but it's gonna be i think a minute before we we get back up to this level yeah it'll just be back to our stupid next next week so <laughs> on that note i hope everybody has a great week hey everybody stay safe out there practice swearing just to pass the time lately i see why i am alone i caught some road rich and i thought of you and all the many times you say i should have known talk across all